after that uh, ministered to me and uh, helped me even just preparing and getting ready for what I'm about to preach tonight. And I uh, thank Pastor for those kind words and thank the team, the Soundest team also for just uh, getting on board and doing what we need to do at a time like this. And I appreciate your prayers too, church, for us and uh, just for everything that we're able to do at this time uh, because it does help and uh, your prayers don't go unnoticed or unfelt. Uh, so I appreciate that. Well, if you have your Bible tonight, uh, please turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13. That's the first place we're going to read, read from in just a moment. Uh, but appreciate the opportunity to speak tonight. Thank Pastor for that. And I pray that this is a help to you tonight. I know that this is something that the Lord's kind of worked on my heart a little bit over the past few weeks. And so I just want to share some things with you tonight. Uh, but before I do that, I might just pray and uh, then we'll have a look at what the Word of God can help us with tonight. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, for this evening. We thank you, Lord, that we're able to gather together in this way. And uh, Father, also uh, just for being able to hear the things that you're doing, uh, not just in this place, but overseas in PNG and other places, Lord God. And uh, we do thank you that you're a God who is sovereign, who is in control of all things, who sees all things and knows all things and does all things well. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can learn from it. And uh, Father, I just pray that uh, as we speak tonight, as we look in your word tonight, uh, that we would be helped, that Lord, your Holy Spirit would guide us in understanding some things. And uh, please just challenge us about ourselves, Lord God, and how we can be a better Christian at this time and uh, reflect you and reflect your light a little bit more, Lord God. So Father, I pray that you'd be pleased with everything that takes place. And uh, we do ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to ask you a question tonight, and I wonder if you've ever played the game Jenga. You might have played it when you were a little kid or played it recently, and uh, if you're not familiar with the game Jenga, essentially it's a, it's a bunch of uh, little wooden blocks that you stack up together alternatively, and then players take turns to remove a piece and put it on top, and that keeps going, and obviously it creates spaces and creates this, this once solidified and secure uh, block now starts to be a little bit more unstable and the game continues on until the last person who takes one out makes it tumble over and then the game's finished. So I don't know if you've ever played that game. I know I have and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fun game to play and it's uh, something that we can all enjoy. But I was thinking about the time that we're in at the moment and the different things that are happening around us and that game kind of represents a little bit of perhaps how people are feeling right now some things taken away, some, some things that were once stable, maybe not so stable anymore, at least the feeling that they're not so stable anymore. And uh, some people just a little bit on edge at the moment and uh, just keeps on going a little bit like that. I'm not saying it's the end of the world, uh, but just some changes taking place and uh, getting us probably a little bit outside our comfort zone a little bit. And I know that I felt a little bit like that, um, obviously with some restrictions and removals of privileges and things like that. Uh, it can just make us feel a little bit out of sorts. And I know for me, uh, I'm, I'm the kind of person who likes to be on a production line, know what I'm doing every day of the week and, you know, day in, day out, be able to do the same thing. That's how my brain kind of works. So when uh, routines are taken out of, out of their normal place, their regular place, I can start getting a little bit worried, a little bit anxious about things and maybe you find yourself in that space, that headspace as well. And I've found that when our routines are forced to change, then essentially so are we. We have to change with them. We can't, we can't just remain the same. We have to change alongside them as well. 
And being somewhat creatures of habit, that, that cannot agree with us so much. I know for me it certainly doesn't agree with me a lot. So I want to ask you this other question is, how are you coping with a change of routine at this time? How are you feeling it and how are you dealing with it? How is it affecting you? How is it affecting the people around you? How are you coping with a change of routine? And in the midst of a shifting environment, emotions can run high, can't they? They can you know, get heightened and, and we can be misunderstood, we can misunderstand people. Uh, frustration can certainly rear its head. And uh, really being patient perhaps doesn't come as quickly, as easily as perhaps once it used to. And it seems, like I said, a little, that people are a little on edge at the moment during this time. And when you put all those things together and you find yourself in that situation, an unfortunate outcome of these things is that our relationships can end up feeling the stress and feeling the strain of these changes. And it can cause friction when that happens. And uh, we can say things that we don't really mean or we can say things that unintentionally hurt somebody else or, or we fly off the handle or you know, just get a little bit frustrated and, and we work on emotions and, and, and we're a little bit unsure of what's happening and, and things can happen not like they're supposed to happen and we cannot be so much led of the Holy Spirit as we're supposed to be. And I've found myself there in, that, in those places of late and, uh, and that's not a good thing. It's not a good representation of the Lord and, and maybe you found yourself there as well. But if there's anything I've learnt through, having, through being married and having children, and there's lots of things that I've learnt through being married and having children, but one of the things that pops up is when, when difficulty arrives or arises, everyone, I've noticed that everyone feels it. It's not just me. I'm not just the receiver of the difficult situation that my whole family is going through that same thing at the same time. And not only does everyone feel it, everyone handles it differently. Everyone's affected by it differently. And that's a really important thing to consider, especially at this time, that we're not the only ones affected by the changes and by the instability that, that may be happening at this time. So that's confronting to me because, you know, I guess at, at our core at our, at our nature we are a little bit selfish and we think that things only affect us but they do affect the people around us and uh, a failure to understand that can really contribute to the strain on relationships that I was talking about earlier. If we don't understand the people around us, understand how they're affected by situations then it can just, it can just mount up that problem and mount up that frustration and, and friction and instability. And just like the, the game of Jenga I mentioned before, it's easy to point the finger at the one who, who took that last piece out and made it all tumble over and say, oh, it was all your fault. You're the, you're the cause of this problem. You're the cause of you know, why we had that argument or you know, why that thing didn't go right or you know, whatever it is. It's easy to point the finger at the one who, who made it topple over, so to speak. But sometimes we need to realise that we are the ones who have contributed to that problem as well that it's not just the one person who made it come to a head, that we were, we were contributors to, to pulling out another piece and causing a little bit more instability. We were contributors if we weren't led of the Lord or led of the Holy Spirit like we're supposed to be or, or walking in the Spirit. And we can, we can be oblivious to that fact and say, no, it was them, it was them, it was them. But the Holy Spirit's going to challenge us and convict us at times like this and say, actually... You took some of those pieces out too. You, you contributed to that part. 
And that's what I want to talk a little bit about tonight, is um, making sure that we handle that correctly and seeing it correctly. And I don't know about you, but I don't exactly like to be told that I'm part of a problem or that I've contributed to a problem. I'll try and wriggle my way out of it a little bit and, you know, that's, that's my sin nature, trying to come to the forefront and that's no excuse, but I guess that's just how we, we naturally tend to slide that way. So tonight, really, I just want to look at a couple of things and it's nothing too deep, but just a couple of things that hopefully are a little bit practical of things that we can be careful about when we realise that we are part of a problem, when we realise we're part of a relationship under strain or a situation that, that is, is being caused friction or something like that. And then I want to look at a solution to these things as well. So you're in uh, 1 Samuel 13, and we're going to look at a couple of verses here. But the first point tonight is we really need to be careful about justifying our actions. Be careful about justifying our actions. What do I mean by that? Well, we'll pick up the story here in 1 Samuel 13, and um, I guess it's a very familiar story to most of us. But Samuel's in Gilgal here, uh, sorry, Saul is in Gilgal here, and Samuel had given Saul instruction to wait uh, seven days until Samuel came to him to offer sacrifices, and that was the priest's job to do, for, for Samuel to come and, and to perform that sacrifice and perform that offering. And Saul was there before the enemy, before the Philistines, Philistines and uh, really he found himself in a difficult situation. He found things kind of slipping away and feeling like they were getting out of hand and he was losing control of the situation. It says that the people were distressed at this time. Saul panics and he makes the offering himself, which was not his job to do. He had done the wrong thing by doing that. And uh, we pick up the story here just in verse 10 and we'll read verse 10 and 11. And it says this, And it came to pass that as soon as he, that Saul, had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. Verse 11, And Samuel said, What hast thou done? He's saying, why, why have you done this? You've done the wrong thing. I said that I was going to come and you didn't wait and it's my job to do the offering. What have you done? Verse 11, And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me and that thou camest not within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. It's easy to mention all the different details to build your story to say, This is why I flew off the handle or this is why I did the wrong thing. This is why I did that action that I, I wasn't really supposed to do. So you can see in verse 11, he, he's pointing out all these different things. He's saying, it's the people, they, were, they fled from me. You didn't come. You said you were, you were going to come and that didn't work out correctly. And, you know, the Philistines, they were there and they were like, you know, what, what was I supposed to do? This, this is what I was left with. This, this is how I came to make that decision. Yes, it was a wrong decision, but I'm just trying to justify my actions a little bit here. And that's something that we need to be careful of doing because we can come up with all sorts of justifications for why we weren't following the Lord in a certain area of our life. We can come up with justifications why we weren't sensitive to our wives or to our children or even to our co-workers in a volatile situation. But the Lord's not really wanting us to do that. See, see Samuel is saying, you know, all of these things, it's like us saying, you know, I was having a, I was having a bad week uh, these people were talking about me and, and, you know, things didn't go well at work and, you know, I had a headache and so I just wanted everything to be fixed so I just did this, just using kind of excuses building out our case. But that's not helpful. Because at the end of the day, if we've done the wrong thing, we've done the wrong thing. It might be, it might be a little 
thing in our mind or it might be something big. But if it's wrong, it, it's wrong. And, and we need to not justify what we've done by all of these other excuses and, and, and things that have gone on around us. So don't blame your actions on your circumstances. Why is it a problem to do that? Well, it's a good question to ask because in essence we're saying that the circumstance we find ourselves in, God wasn't able to help me through it or God wasn't powerful enough to, to help me to come to a right conclusion or, or a right situation or a right outcome in it. Because if we're saying oh, all of this was, was piled up against me, well, I had to do this, I was forced to do this because God's way wasn't able to help me at this point. That's, that's essentially where we're coming to. And, you know, whether that's what Saul was actually thinking himself, but I think sometimes subconsciously we, we arrive at that conclusion. And we try and say, well, I was forced to do this. But here's the thing. God never forces us to do wrong. And praise the Lord for that. You know, he, he will allow us to be, to, be, to be tempted, to be tested, sorry. He will allow us to be tested and say, okay, what are you going to do in this situation? But he's always got a way of escape. He's always got the right path that we should choose. He's always got there, that there waiting for us, but we just need to ask him for it. We need to be patient and say, what do you want me to do in this, in this situation? How do you want me to respond to, to, to these people or whatever it is? So God never forces us to do wrong. And he sees his circumstances. He, he sees everything. He knows everything. He understands them. And here's the thing. We always have the choice to do right. Saul had the choice to do right. He had the choice to say, you know what? Samuel said that he would come, and even if he didn't, God is, is sovereign over all of this. So he, he, he can sort all of this out. So, but we always have the choice to do right. And, and this is what I love about God. And I was sharing this with some of our, our young people on one of our Zoom groups the other night, that when he saves someone, when God saves someone, he gives us the liberty to now do the right thing, to now do the correct thing. He gives us the liberty to make a good choice now. Whereas before we were saved, we had no other choice. We, we were of the fa our father, the devil, and we were just going to sin and we're, we were just going to look out for ourselves and, and that was the only path that we really had, had to choose. But when God saves someone, he, he, he basically opens up a door of, guess what, now you can please me with your decisions and you can do the things that please me, that do things that, that are helpful to the people in your life and making good decisions and so on and so forth. He gives us that liberty, and that's a good thing. That's something that we shouldn't take lightly. It's something we probably just, I know I need to, just remind myself of, like, I don't have to choose that path. I don't have to use my circumstances to, to justify my actions. I can, I can do something different, and I can seek the Lord on, on what to do about here. So that's the first thing, is be careful about justifying your actions when you're part of a problem, Okay. I'm going to look at another one here. So if you just turn quickly uh, to Exodus 32. Exodus 32, we'll have a look at another. And really I've just picked some, I guess, fairly familiar passages here. Nothing, like I said, nothing too deep, but just some things that practical we can look at. So Exodus 32. And my next point here is to be careful about stretching or changing the truth. So when you're found to be uh, a contributor to a problem, um, be careful about stretching or changing the truth. Now Exodus 32 here, we're going to read uh, from verse 21 in just a moment, but basically the story, Moses has just returned from communing with God on Mount Sinai and uh, while Aaron was down there left with the people and he's come back and 
obviously found that they've created a golden calf and they're worshipping it and things have kind of fallen to pieces while Moses is gone. So Exodus 32, we'll read from verse 21. The Bible says this, And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee, that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot, for thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. So automatically he's doing a little bit what Saul did and saying, The people, the people caused me to do this. But here's the thing, verse 23, For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. They did say that. They did say that about Moses. Verse 24, And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. Aaron did say that. And they gave it to me, and they did give it to him. Then I cast it into the fire. He did cast it into the fire. And the next part of the verse says, And there came out this calf. Whoa, wait a minute. So he, he, he said some truthful statements up until that last part of verse 24. Oh, and this calf just erupted. It magically came out of the fire. Uh, untruth. <laughs> so really, he's got 90% truth there in all those statements and about 10% untruth. He's stretching the truth. So he's found to be a contributor to the problem that is before Moses right now. And Aaron's way of trying to wriggle out of it a little bit is, trying to stretch the truth a little bit. So build up all of these things that are actually true, but then just tack on this other one that's not true, and hopefully it just all works itself out in the wash. Well, Moses isn't silly. God's not silly. He's not fooling anyone there. But it is something for us to learn from. And I would ask this question. Would you say that when Moses was up in the mount, that Aaron himself was facing his own time of change, his own time of uncertainty, instability. I mean, he'd been with Moses following God's leadership and they've come to Mount Sinai and basically Aaron hasn't had to do a whole lot. He has supported Moses along the way, but basically he's been leaning on Moses as well and leaning on Moses' leadership. Now with Moses out of the picture for a certain amount of time, I think Aaron's found himself in kind of like a situation where we're find, we found ourselves now and what's happening right now? Is, is everything okay? And, you know, just working it all out, like what is the new norm, so to speak. So I'm not so down on Aaron, so to speak, because I think we find ourselves in that situation too. He's found himself in a time of uncertainty. But you can see, I said that he stretched, stretched the truth. You can see if you look in verse 4, it actually says that he himself carved the golden calf. It says that he made it himself from the fire. So like I said, 90% truth with 10% truth is 100% lie. And we've got to be careful about stretching the truth. And I thought about this when I was reading and I thought perhaps Aaron stretched the truth a little bit because he found himself not in control of his environment like he would have liked to be in control of his environment, in control of his circumstances or in control of the people that he was supposed to be watching over and looking after. And sometimes that can cause you and I to when we feel that way, I'm not in control so much, okay, I need to make it look like I'm in control. And, I need, I, and, and that's going to cause us to stretch the truth a little bit. Oh, it, it was this and it was this and it was that. I was in control, but this happened and it was out of, out of my control. Um, and so I think Aaron may have found himself in that mindset a little bit. But how do you feel when you're not in control of what's happening around you? Do you feel a little bit like Aaron and and maybe have to make up an excuse as to why I made that bad decision. 
Uh, it's very tempting to do so and it's very easy to do so. Wanting to still look the part a little bit. And it's not about, you know, I'm, I'm trying to save face, but I think sometimes we just gravitate, like I said, naturally towards that way of thinking. So we need the, we need the Holy Spirit's leading in all of this. We need our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit as we go through things at uncertain times. Uh, like I said, when friction and, and things pop up, we need to be asking the Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? How do you want me to handle myself? And like I said at the start, how, how do you want me to understand these people around me that are feeling and facing the same thing, but they're probably handling it in a different way? So we need the Lord's wisdom when you, you put all of that in a mix because it's not just about ourselves anymore. It's not just about how am I going to do my day today? Because even with restrictions and even, even with the social distancing and all that stuff, we're still going to interact with people. Our lives still intersect a little bit, especially if you have, have a bigger family at home or whatever. You're still around people a lot of the time. So we need the Holy Spirit's wisdom and how do I understand the people around me? How do I love them? How do I care for them at this time of uncertainty? So it's really just about maintaining that connection, that sensitivity to the Lord in a time like this. So really, the thing that we can learn from Aaron here is that if you're confronted about an incident that you've contributed to, if you're part of the problem, then make sure that you're more concerned about telling the whole truth than by what other people might think about you. That's, that's what God's more concerned with. He's more concerned that we're people of truth. And right now, your family, your friends your neighbours, your co-workers, even the strangers that you come across at the shops or wherever you're coming across strangers, they need to be able to look at us as Christians right now and say, okay, they may do something not quite right every now and then, but they are the kind of person who will tell the truth about it. They're the kind of person that will admit when they've been part of a problem and not trying to save face a little bit, but they'll just be honest about it, even when they're found at fault. So that's the second one, is to be careful about stretching the truth when you're found to be part of the problem. And here's the third one, uh, Genesis chapter 3, probably the most familiar uh, verse, and it's probably been preached on a million times. But Genesis chapter 3, and obviously this is where God is approaching Adam and Eve, and he's talking specifically to Adam here after they've uh, disobeyed God, they've taken of the fruit, and uh, they've done what he said not to do. Uh, and God approaches Adam and confronts him about the situation. In Genesis 3, verse 11, we'll just read three verses here, 11 to 13. This is what the Bible reads. It says, And he said, that's God, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Verse 13, And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Now what can we learn from this? When confronted with, are you part of the problem and what happened here? When you're confronted and you automatically bring up other people's names, it's a pretty clear sign that you're trying to redirect the focus off yourself. And, and say, well, actually the whole story is that they made me do it. Or the whole story is that they're more to blame than I am. So you really should be having this conversation with them. And I think that's what's come out in what Adam says, because really God asked Adam two questions in verse 11 there. And the first words out of Adam's mouth was the woman. It was her. Like, 
direct your conversation to her God because she's the one that handed it to me. She's the one that forced my hand. Whatever he was saying in those two words, the woman, but basically he's trying to redirect the focus of the the fact that he's part of the problem as well. So that's something that we really need to be careful of doing. Now, Adam didn't accept responsibility here, and you know what he did? And this is something for us to, to really consider, that he also was teaching Eve to do the exact same thing. So by redirecting the focus and and pointing the finger, so to speak, at Eve, he's showing her this is how you deal with things when you're you're confronted with being part of the problem. Oh, you you just push it along. You just pass the blame. You do the blame game thing. And that's not a good thing for us to be teaching the people around us, whether they're our family or just onlookers, just people seeing us as Christians. Uh, We shouldn't be showing them that this is how we handle things. And what we're saying when we do that is we're saying, well, take it up with them because they're more to blame than I am. And if you think about the Jenga game, if you've ever played it, obviously the last person that puts that piece up and causes the whole thing to topple over, it creates a big mess on the floor. And, you know, if you leave that, fl- if you leave that uh, mess lying around, kids, and then your parents come in later on and say, hey, what happened here? Who made all this mess? Sure enough, the kid's going to like, point to the one who pulled the last piece out and say, oh, it was them. They, made, they pulled it out and it, they made the mess there. It wasn't me. And Adam's doing a little bit of that here. He's saying, they're, the, they're the cause of the problem right there. Talk to them. But we all know that they all had something to contribute to that problem. And God sees the whole situation in its entirety. And that's what I love about God is that he is just. He sees everything correctly and he will deal with everything correctly. And he knows what our circumstances are. He knows, like I said, that we had a choice to do right. Adam and Eve had a choice to do right. He knows the truth about the whole story, just like when we're talking about Aaron, that we didn't have to stretch the truth. We could have just told the whole truth. And he knows, and this is the important part, what part that you and I played in the problem. Because if we are part of the problem, then we just need to admit that. We need to accept that. We need to be honest about that. And if you notice here in Genesis, God went down the line to establish the root of the problem But he also justly dealt with each person along the way that did contribute to the problem. So he didn't just sweep things under the carpet. He he was trying to find the root of it all. But we need to remember that he is a God that cares about every single part of a problem. He cares about every single outcome of a problem. He cares about every single person that's in the problem as well. So third one is that we need to be careful about pointing the finger at other people. And it's too easy to do. And, and it's too easy for even our children to pick up on that. If, if we go, oh, it's just that one little thing, I'll just point the finger at my spouse or, or, or the boss or whoever it is. They're learning that. They're soaking that up. So we need to be careful as Christians not to, to react that way. But to do something different, to, to be led of the Lord in how we respond in these situations. So the last thing really is, I guess, the remedy, so to speak, for this Uh, the the thing that we need to be careful to do, and that's to be careful to accept responsibility and to say sorry. So if we're found to be part of a problem, and I understand that sometimes we haven't contributed to a problem and we've walked in and, oh, there's a problem here. Okay, what am I supposed to do here? And we're not part of it. We haven't contributed to it, but quite often we can be part of it. And when we are and when the Lord's challenged us about that or perhaps another you know, loving Christian or someone has challenged us about that and said, well, actually, and when we've come to the solution that, okay, I am actually part of the problem, then we need to accept 
responsibility for that and we need to say sorry for that as well. So there's two points here. And the first one, accept, admit, acknowledge, agree, whatever word you want to use that you actually have been part of the problem. That's, that's the first step. That's the first thing. And it's such a simple thing to do, but it can be so hard because it takes a hit to our pride. Our pride doesn't like it when we say, yes, I actually was wrong. I actually did contribute to that. But we need to agree with God on that. And regardless of the percentage of how much we contributed to it, because it could have been 99% another person or another party and 1% us, and we can get so hung up on it was them more than me, but God's not interested in that. He just He's looking down from above and he's saying, okay, there's a problem here and... These people are involved in it. These people had a part to play in it. And I want restoration here. I want, a good real, I want a good outcome of this situation. That person had that much to deal with it. Well, I'm going to deal with them accordingly. This person had 1% to deal with it. I'm going to deal with them accordingly. So that's what he's looking at. That's what he's concerned about. And he's concerned about our heart in the matter and concerned about what we're learning through things like this. Because when, if we can accept responsibility for being 1% part of the problem, then that's going on to help us to become more Christ-like. And then we're also teaching other people to do the same. That it, it, it doesn't matter how much I was part of the problem, even 1% is enough for me to say, yes, I was part of it and I do need to apologise for that. So don't, just, don't be so concerned about pointing the finger at the 99%. Shine the, the light of God's word on the 1% and say, yep, that was me. That's maturity. That's Christian maturity when you can do that. The second part is apologising for being part of the problem. So not just acknowledging it, but going that next step and, and saying sorry. Say sorry to the people involved. Say sorry to God, first and foremost. Uh, that's not weakness when you do that. That's strength. That's, that's humility. That's saying, yes, actually, there is a God that I have sinned against. There is someone that I have done wrong to or I've offended or, or whatever the situation might be. And when you can stand up and accept that and then say those words, I'm sorry, and actually mean them, that's strength. That's a, and that's the strength that God gives and he, he loves to see in a Christian as well. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but 1 Peter 5, verse 5 and 6 says this. It says, For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So we need to be people concerned with being humble and, and not be proud and not worried about what we look like to other people when, when these things arrive, but that we're humble before God and we can admit fault and say sorry. And when I read this, and that's why we had that reading from Psalm 51 earlier, is that wouldn't you say that David was part of a few problems in his life, had contributed differing amounts to some problems that he faced and that to, to God's children faced along the time. But wouldn't you also say that he was exalted by God as well? So yes, he's been found as being part of a problem, but God's also exalted him. And I think that comes from his humility that we saw in Psalm 51, where he poured out his heart and he said, yes, I have contributed to this I have done the wrong thing and I you know I did get my sin passed down me from my mum but I'm not using that as an excuse I'm not saying oh my circumstances is, is why I, I came out with these actions uh, I'm not pointing the finger to this person or that person as to why I did that thing it was all me I chose to do it 
And I know God gave me an opportunity to, to do right, but I didn't take that opportunity. I did, did what I wanted to do. And so Psalm 51, you read that in your, in your own time. It's a great psalm just to see a genuine heart after God and a genuine heart that is sensitive to the Holy Spirit and saying, I have done wrong and I need to apologise and, and I am part of the problem. And God restores him. And, and like I said, God lifts him up. God exalts him and, and sees that humility in him and uses it. And that's his strength. That's David's strength. So Psalm 51 is a great one. He mentions all those things in there and he doesn't justify himself based on the other things around him. And God gives him grace and God has shown that through his life. And, and there's many other Bible characters that you can see that in. Uh, but that's something for us to think about. So I ask that question again, how are you coping with the change of routine? How are you coping with the, the, the situation around you changing constantly, the change of landscape? And, I, and I'll say this and then we'll be done, but there's a lot to be said for maintaining just a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, especially at a time like this. And Pastor's message this morning, he mentioned a lot about the Holy Spirit and yeah, it's right, maybe we don't always talk so much about him like, like we should or, or look at you know, his ministry in our lives as we should. But listening to that still small voice is so important right now because, yes, things may not be as loud and, and, and things may not be as busy, busy, busy as they, as they normally are or normally were, but there's still a lot going on in our heads and our minds and we still need to pay attention to his still small voice. And so, you know maintaining your Bible reading with him, maintaining just a, a prayer time with him and just taking that time to listen and, and ask the question, Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? Have I been part of a problem? And ask that question. This thing's before me. Did I contribute to that? And if so, then, then take the necessary steps and just acknowledge that. Say sorry to the person. Say sorry to the God and listen to his still small voice. So that's something that the Lord's challenged me on recently. I pray that it's a blessing and a help to you um, and there's something that you can chew on a little bit, I hope, and uh, I pray that's been a help tonight. But I'm just going to say a word of prayer and then uh, Brother Paul's going to come and just lead us in one verse of a song and then we'll have a few announcements to close off this evening's service. Let's just have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this evening. Thank you, Lord, for how good you are to us. Thank you for your long-suffering to us, Lord, and your patience. And our Lord, we do thank you that you do make a way for us to choose the right things. You do make a way for us to please you with our decisions, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would help each of us to understand the people around us, understand our loved ones, our co-workers, Lord, and, and just the stranger on the street, Lord. Help us to understand how people are, are handling these changing times right now. But help us also to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. Help us to please you with all that we do and all that we say. And help us to be humble, Lord and uh, to acknowledge when we have been part of a problem. I pray that you would use us and strengthen us this way. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity tonight to meet together in this way. And we do pray that you would guide us and help us for this week to come. We do thank you. We love you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Paul.